This is Toastcaster, the communication leadership and learning lab with your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 141, how to use subtle words that sell with our guest, Paul Ross. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster, your communication, leadership, and learning lab. This is your host, Greg Gazin. We have another exciting guest on the line today. He's Paul Ross. He's an author, international speaker, and sales trainer, master hypnotist, and master practitioner, and a trainer of neuro-linguistic programming. For the past three decades, he's taught tens of thousands of people around the world the power of language to persuade, influence, sell, and heal. Paul has been featured globally on BBC, Fox, CNN, NBC, The Huffington Post, Rolling Stone, and more. And now he can add Toastcaster to his latest list of accomplishments. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Ross, welcome to the program. Welcome. And I want just to give one caveat. I'm joined today by executive supervisor. Neka Jane, she is my year, and I'd say about three-month-old dilute tortoiseshell kitten cat, and she wants attention right now. So I'm dividing my attention between her, the little punkster, and you guys, but I'll give you plenty on my plate. Well, that's just perfect. Ha, ha, ha. Pardon the pun. (laughs) There is a clause in my contract. Oh, no. I should have known better than to try to compete with the word master. <laughs> well, in this category, oh, I am no. Sir Pareem. I'm Sir Pareem. <laughs> well, let me pause for a second. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. <laughs> you can take over if you want. Well, you probably will. She's such a cutie. My little baby. Well, I had I had an opportunity to to read and go over your latest book, Subtle Words That Sell. And the automatic thought that came into my head was, okay, here we go again. Deceptive verbiage to manipulate our minds to make us buy something that we don't really want. Why thank you. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> As I went through the book, I realized that there were so many lessons and I started taking notes. And then I realized, well, wait a second, I've got the book. I can just underline and highlight, etc. I also realized very quickly that even though you, it has the word sell in the title, it's not necessarily just about physically selling because we're always selling ourselves. So right. perhaps, Paul, if you can just let us know a little bit about why you wrote the book and really what it's about. Sure. Well, let's take the second question first. Look at the subtitle of the book, How to Get Your Prospects to Convince Themselves to Buy and Add Top Dollars to Your Bottom Line. So for me, sales is a much different process. I have a revolutionary, different, paradigm-breaking way of looking at sales. To me, selling is about structuring states of consciousness. And now let me unpack that because I know that sounds a little bit whack. But instead (laughs) of thinking, how do I get my marketing plan to be more appealing to my prospect or how do I do my closing, I encourage my students and clients to think in terms of what state of consciousness do I want my prospect to be in when they first receive my message? Do I want them to be skeptical? Do I want them to be checked out, tuned out? No, I want them to be focused in. I want them to feel like they're in rapport with me, even feel like they're being eagerly and willingly led by me. And so to me, 
sales is about shaping and structuring states of consciousness for your prospects and also for yourself. What state of consciousness, what state of mind do you want to be in when you enter into the sale? Now, many people have said, well, I sell real estate, I sell this, I sell that. And many people say, I sell myself. I would really like to say you're always selling decisions and good feelings about decisions. It's interesting because that was something that I actually did highlight because in your book, you mentioned selling decisions and good feelings, and then you share a story about selling chocolate bars. Yeah. <laughs> Which I can relate to because I sold chocolate bars as well. So when you were selling chocolate bars or when you're selling chocolate bars now, in a term of reference, what you're referring to... I use that story to illustrate the principle, the pattern interrupt. The idea being that people think, act, behave, respond, react in predictable patterns. When you break that pattern, you create a temporary window of suggestibility. So when I was selling candy bars... Rather than saying, hi, my name is so-and-so, would you like to buy a candy bar? Which immediately probably elicits the answer, no, since every other kid had had been doing that. As soon as they opened the door, I would say, hi, my name is Paul. I'm here to sell you something. It tastes good, and you will really enjoy eating it because you'll also know you're helping the school and improving the neighborhood that you want to see flourish and grow or words like that words that effect so i'm throwing so much at the guy first of all I interrupt his pattern he's not expecting the kid to say i'm here to sell you something he's expecting to get a little sweet talk so he's i've got him off balance right then and there do you understand yeah interesting okay so they're not expecting that so then how yeah. do you go in for the for the kill, if you will, or go in for the sale. Well, I say it tastes really good. Well, of course it does, right? It's sugar, and everyone loves, most people love sugar. And you'll really enjoy eating it. What, what does that presuppose? That presupposes they've already bought it, unless they swipe it from me, which they're not going to do. Right. So all of a sudden, the mind goes to, oh, yeah, that really tastes good. You can actually taste it. And they'll visualize themselves eating it. And you'll really enjoy eating it because you know you're helping to support the school that improves the entire neighborhood. I sweep my arms to indicate the entire neighborhood. And then I'll say, but I can only give you, not sell you, I can only give you two because the family down the street ordered 10. (laughs) (laughs) So that's scarcity and social proof all rolled into but it's happening so fast they can't they just usually would burst out laughing and say okay and i'd give my head a little nod and they'd give me a little nod back and they'd say i'd whip out the order form (laughs) when i read that i was thinking back to and i i can't remember how old i was i might have been 10 and i can't remember whether it was for cub scouts or it might have been for hockey i know i went in there with this excitement And I was quiet and shy at the time, but I was also motivated and excited because if we sold these chocolate bars, I think we could go on a trip. I think we were trying to raise money for something. For every box or for every bar you sold, you got an entry into a draw, which I ended up actually winning a cash prize. So did I. (laughs) Ironically, I was pretty shy and introverted. Now, thinking back, I don't even think I'd want to go to a door. But now that you're sharing with us, okay, selling decisions and good feelings that totally changes things around. So let's bring that forward to business. How does that relate? I don't care what you think you're selling. You're still selling decisions and good feelings about decisions. Look, 
language, which I'm a master at, neuro-linguistic programming is based on how language structures consciousness, shapes decisions, and drives behavior. Language is the way in which we speak to ourselves. It is the structure of our consciousness. So that being the case, it really benefits. I was going to use the word behooves, but the last time I used that word, it was in a conversation with my mother. <laughs> she liked to use those big old 50 cent words. It really behooves us to know how to move people's minds to take the decisions we want them to take so they'll do the behaviors we want them to do. That's self-evident to me. And so that there's an implication that distills out of that, which is selling is not just about service. That's fine. You have to be of service. But to me, selling is service times suggestion. You have to be able to also use suggestion to guide your prospect into making a good decision. Because here's the thing. You said getting people to buy things they don't really want to buy. I don't agree with that at all. I think that people don't know anymore that something might be a good decision, or they might have a lot of self-talk on their head that says they don't deserve it or they can't afford it. So we as salespeople are not about forcing a decision on the prospect. We're about expanding the prospect's mind to include choices they didn't know would benefit them and they didn't realize that they could actually afford. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Now, I think in your book, you also talk about reframing objections. I think that's where that fits in. You know, share a little bit about how that works. Yeah. Being a hypnotist, I like to use principles from hypnosis. One of the big principles of clinical hypnotherapy is the pattern interrupt. And it simply relies on the idea that people think, respond, act, behave from fixed patterns. When you interrupt that pattern, you create a state of temporary suggestibility. So, for example, the big, big one you get in any kind of sales is, I need more time to think it over. Well, I like to use a counterexample. So, role play with me. Just say, I need more time to think it over. I need more time to think it over. I understand, Mr. Prospect. Can I ask you a question, Greg? Sure. Have you ever had the experience of taking a long time to think something over and it still turned out to be the wrong decision? <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so maybe it's not about time, but about the clarity you need to recognize you really can move forward today. So thinking about it just like that, what concerns do we need to bring out to the table so we can clear them up and get you going today? Probably anything that's going to stop me from buying. Exactly. And so now you have the permission to clarify that with me. And it also implies that it's a good decision. You just didn't have the clarity before to see it. Do you see how cleverly that's put together? It's almost like you're trying to add some additional information without making me really feel bad about not being able to make a decision or right. overcoming the thought that, no, I can't afford it. My wife doesn't want it. You already have 12. Right. right. And sometimes the prospect doesn't know what the objection is, or they feel stupid telling you, or they feel embarrassed telling you. And this just puts it all out on the table for them to feel comfortable telling you. Instead of telling them directly, well, you can feel comfortable telling me. I won't judge. Yeah, right. This implies it. Whatever you can get your prospect to perceive as being their own thought will not be resisted. And when you imply things and suggest things, it's a great way to get them to believe it's their own thought. Remember the subtitle of my book? The book is called Subtle Words That Sell. 
But the subtitle, How to Get Your Prospects to Convince Themselves to Buy. And as I've said over and over and over, whether it's a private training on my LinkedIn, on my Facebook, if you're not getting the prospect to do 80% of the work convincing themselves to buy, you're doing too much of the work and making too little money. <laughs> so you're providing them with thoughts and ideas that will trigger that decision to buy in their own minds. Yes, for their own reasons. If they don't have legitimate reasons to buy, they won't. What motivated you to put this book together? That's a good question. First, I'm a fiercely competitive person, and I looked at the word of sa- the world of sales, and here's what got me to look at it. I've always been interested in it, but what you don't know, because it's not in my biography, is I'm a former dating coach. In fact, I started that whole industry over 30 years ago, and I helped a lot of guys and helped them find girlfriends and wives and have a lot of fun in between that. And I'd get plenty of emails thanking me, and sometimes they'd attach pictures to their kids. But around 2005, something shifted. I started to get emails saying, hey, thank you for teaching me the skills. I met my wife, and I have a family. But I've also been using your stuff in business, and as a salesperson, I'm crushing it. I thought, this is really interesting. So I went back, and I thought, how can I map this over? Because dating is primarily a sale. If you think about it, you're selling the toughest thing in the world. You're selling yourself. You've got to do your prospect outreach. You've got to qualify your leads. You've got to do your sales presentation, your trial closing. And then, of course, you've got to overcome objections. I thought, let me use my neurolinguistic programming skills. I knew there were some NLP models for selling, but they didn't appear to me to be things that actually worked in the real world. And so I tried coming up with a course in 2006. It was okay. 2013. That was okay. But then around 2017, so in between 2011 or so and 2017, 2018, I really worked on this and beta tested it with some private clients. And I came up with the book and now I have an entire course based on the book. Wow. Awesome. There's so many lessons in this book. In fact, I thought, how am I going to be able to ask you as many questions as I want to ask in a short short period of time? So I'm going to have to pick and choose, and then I'm going to encourage people to really have a look at this book. And it's not one that you can skim. You actually have to sit down and read it. Get yourself a big cup of coffee, a beer, whatever you want to drink. And (laughs) reread it multiple times. And by the way, at the end of the show, what I'll do is I'll tell them how they can get the book on Amazon if they go to my link and also get two free courses for me. Absolutely. And you certainly won't manipulate us into trying to buy it. You'll persuade us, right? (laughs) I'll just allow you to find yourself recognizing for all your own reasons as you stop and imagine using just some of these tools in a way that really fulfills your ambitions. (laughs) In the book, you actually have a section and it's titled selling ethically. And you talk about persuasion versus manipulation. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? Sure. For me, manipulation means the following things. And I don't teach this. Here's the distinction between influence and manipulation. Manipulation to me means one or more of the following things. First of all, pushing down really hard on people's pain, shame, fear, etc. Number two, using deception, meaning you say the car gets 50 miles to the gallon, really it gets 10. Number 
four or is that number two? I haven't had my coffee this morning, but the next one would be, I really haven't. The next one would be leaving out pertinent information. For example, you don't tell people that the house is built on a natural gas fault and could explode at any moment. And the final one would be coercion. Like, if you don't do this, I'm going to reveal those pictures I have with you and your wife and the St. Bernard, <laughs> whatever. You're using coercion, blackmail, threats of force, that sort of thing. Those are all the things that to me constitute manipulation. Persuasion, influence, is simply the art of opening up the other person's consciousness so it expands to include your ideas or choices they didn't know that they had. Let me give you a metaphor if I can, a visualization. You've stayed in a hotel and you've looked through that little peephole that shows you that narrow view of what's out in the hallway. Right. Imagine you're staying in a hotel room in Hawaii or Cancun or someplace where there's a beautiful view of the bay and a huge bay window but you hear a noise out in the hallway and you look out that little peephole for some reason you just can't take your eye off that and you forget that there's a huge bay window well your prospect is not coming to you filled with the sense of possibility that anything could be possible for them in their life that they deserve to have the best they're usually looking through that narrow keyhole of distraction overwhelm overstimulation, self-doubt, self-contradictions. So your job is, metaphorically is to turn them around and show them these opportunities that they didn't even know were there or that they didn't know they could have or deserve. That makes a lot of sense. So you're really broadening their, their view as opposed to perhaps a very narrow view that they have. I believe that that's, that's the case, yes. But this is a bat bleep crazy looking way of looking at selling. The idea of selling being about expanding consciousness is a strange way to look at it. <laughs> You're all about asking questions. Now, we've always been told that if we want our teams to be more productive, they need to understand the why. Even Simon Sinek said in his book, or the, the, his book is called Start With The Why, but you suggest a different interrogative. In terms of your overall motivation, asking what your why is, I get it. But in terms of learning from your mistakes, asking, why did I screw it up? Why do I always lose out when it comes to speaking in front of the big audiences? Why can't I get my confidence when it comes to doing my outreach to the big money clients? That's just going to get you to focus on the problem and reprogram it back into your brain. So in that case, I suggest you ask yourself how questions, how could I have done this differently? And what questions, what did I do correctly? And if questions, if I already had mastery of these skills, what could I have done better or more of? Do you understand? So I'm talking more about don't ask why questions when it comes to learning from your experience. And by the way, I hate hearing that advice. Learn from every experience or learn from your mistakes. Have you ever heard that piece of advice handed out? <laughs> All the time. But if you don't know how to fix it, you're going to keep making them, right? Does anyone ever tell you how to do that? Do they ever give you a process? No. Typically not. They tell you what you should do. You get lots of shoulds, but you don't really get guidance. Yeah. No, no. And that's the difference between me is I do give that guidance. I do say exactly how to go about doing it. I also like in the book where you talk about when you had asked the question, I'm not sure if it was in the book or whether or not it was in the interview that I listened to, is that you ask when you get a ticket for your, for your car or for your coat, you get a claim check, not a want check. Correct. 
So what I was talking about is motivating yourself and watch out for the words want. I want to be a successful salesperson. I want to make a million dollars. Instead, I use the illustration. When you go and you park your car with the valet, he doesn't give you a want check. He gives you a claim check, meaning ownership. So I say take ownership with words like I claim my skills for my success with my high value clients or my big money ticket sales. Do you get it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, are there any other words that you can suggest that we make sure that are in our vocabulary? It more has to do with category of words. For example, adverbs, words that end in L-Y. So you could say, I claim my practice of making my outreach calls. How about if we add, I powerfully claim my joyous practice of making my effective outreach calls. So add in the adjectives and the adverbs and you'll take any empowering statement and make it 10 times more empowering. Sounds like an affirmation. It is an affirmation, but it, it's done with a sense of ownership rather than a sense of wanting. It's done with a sense of, sense of ownership and it sprinkles in an emotional flavor to it. I, what's the difference between saying, I've got to make these outreach calls and saying, I joyously claim my powerful making of my outreach calls. One is a lot more motivating. One opens up a lot more neurocircuitry. Yeah. The first one is like, oh, good grief. It's, yeah. it's dread. The yeah. other one is joy. excitement. It's joy. It's yeah. excitement. Yeah. I choose to make those calls rather than I, oh, good God, I got to make those calls. Yeah. And it's not those calls. It's my calls. On that vein, are there words that we need to keep away from, words that we need to just get out of our lexicon? Yes, should and must. I should go to the gym. I must make more calls. Shooting on yourself and masturbating are things that you need to avoid. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. Uh, okay, don't. <laughs> well, I used to be a dating coach. I got to walk what I talk, what I walk, and walk what I talk. I'm sure that dating has changed a lot since you were a coach, but I think since we're talking about subtle words that sell, just taking selling in a traditional sense, how has selling changed in a traditional sense, maybe in the past five years, and maybe even the past five months? I would say, well, let's go back the past 10 years. People are far more overstimulated. They have too many choices. They can't focus. They can't concentrate. I would say one of your number one barriers to making a successful sale is not your competition or your product or service. It's that your prospects don't have the focus they once did. They're checked out. They're checked out and they're overstimulated. I remember when the ads on YouTube were two minutes and you couldn't click off. Now you can click off after, it was 15 seconds. Now I think it's five seconds. Oh, it's five seconds. So one of my mentors says people have the focus of a goldfish. <laughs> and, and she's right. <laughs> How are things changed? You mentioned, obviously, in the last 10 years, I think we can see that. What about in the past, let's say, even five months? Since well, the past whole... five months, you can't do things face-to-face. -face. Usually, it has to be done electronically. But now that we're actually in people's faces with Zoom, I mean, you're right up in people's faces. I mean, you could even see the, the whites of their eyes. So what... I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's, the same rules apply. Capturing and leading their imagination and emotions putting them in states or leading them to states where they not only trust you, but they want to be led by you. And even they're rooting for you to make the sale. That's what's possible if you know how to structure your language in the right way.
Absolutely. Look, look, the real reason I'm doing this is you want to know, to be candidly upfront with you, is I'm in love with language. Language is miraculously powerful. Language can freeze someone's world or free their world. It can turn stumbling blocks into stepping stones and pain into passion. I've seen this over decades of experience. And I want people, through the success they get through my material, to somewhere in the back of their mind have a bigger understanding of the power of language. That's what I want. I want them to fall in love with language the way I'm madly in love with it. Well, I wish the whole world would read your book because right now it seems that one word placed in the wrong place, whether it's in a tweet or whether oh, it's a man. comment on the air, oh, is changing. Man. It's changing the world. Goodness gracious. We're, in a, we're now in a culture where the measure of your merit is not on what you accomplish or what you contribute, but how offended you are. So I'm sitting here going, uh, what happened to discourse and intelligent dialogue? Well, that ended 30 years ago when the school system shifted to teaching people how to think, to just rote memorization and believe in whatever they were told. A free society has to be an informed and educated and free-thinking society. And democracy, in my view, is D-E-A-D. I'm moving to the moon or wherever the aliens want to take me. I'm waiting for the mothership to beam me and my cats or my girlfriend up. <laughs> now, aren't we going to tell people how to get my book plus bonuses? That was my next question after I was going to ask you to send me a picture of Aww. you and your kitties so I could put it on the podcast. <laughs> if you go to subtlewordsatsell.com, that's subtlewordsatsell.com, it'll show you how to get the book on Amazon through a link we'll give you, but then it'll refer you back to my page and you'll get two courses, one on destroying objections and one on building a monster mindset using a simple technique. That's absolutely awesome. Paul Ross, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Of course, thanks to your kittens or kitties as well. well they're so cutely, <laughs> McBullock. Should you look at that face on my neck? She's so cute. I love her. Paul Ross, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm going to go work out, clean up the house for my next interview. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies, a new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.